I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? Know? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to oh, you okay, now. I will down to Anfield and we'll see them. Won't we? What you doing down here, you shawnee man? <laughs> I am a real American. Come on, we'll go to a, your favorite, a baseball game. Every man I'd be more than happy to have you boys come on over. American. I'll get you guys garlic fries and anchor steam beer. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. Oh yeah! Yes, it's the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Owen Murphy and Ken all here in KNBR Studios in San Francisco. Hello there, Hi, guys. Hello there, Hi, Owen. How are you? I literally feel like we're part of the furniture here. Um, I mean, I've I've actually said a lot to five different members of staff today. I'm having a real ray of sunshine around the place. You really are. You're, you're truly bringing. They're, I mean, they're, good times to. I, I would say, I mean, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I would say that come tomorrow morning, you know, for the, when I step in here for the very last time, <laughs> I think that they'll pro- I'll probably get a speech. You know, they'll they'll get get everyone around into the central concourse. Do you think they'll do that thing where they uh, they have a whip round? And give yeah, you yeah, an envelope well, for I, money? I, I hope so. I mean, it's obviously that's not why I've, I've been such a nice guy, but I mean, you know, it wouldn't hurt them. You know, they say, listen, we've done a whip round for you, Kieran. You're like, yeah. And we've bought you this present, and then you're no. I just want the cash. No, no, no. What are you doing? Why must people always buy? You only know me three days. You're, yeah. You know for a fact you don't know anything about me. I must start, guys, with an apology to okay. both of you. Okay. It's, it sometimes takes the bigger man to apologise, and I'm going to have to do it because if people listen to our first football podcast from here earlier in the week, they'll have heard a heated and at times confrontational debate around the dietary habits of Mr. Pushek. Yes, Mr. Pushek is the rotund Siamese cat who we've been left in charge of by Agnes, the owner of our Airbnb place in the mission area of the city. I felt, well, personally, I felt that the cat has had enough snack food over the years, could do with a week of just enjoying the basic roughage mm. necessary to survive and thrive. You two disagree strongly. Just survive or not thrive. And feed him on a non-stop supply of, uh, of tasty treats. Well, yeah. there's an update on this story. And I know our listeners are just dying for it. I mean, they really need mm. to know what's I going know. on here. I bumped into Agnes. 
be. Yeah, I didn't realize she was staying. She's staying in another part of the property. What? Yeah. Because she looked at me, she goes, hi. And I said, hi. What? What? Awkward interaction. Yeah, you seem stunned, Ken. Unless there's somebody purporting to be Agnes, but she seemed to know a lot about us. And uh, she said, how are you guys Wait, doing? Sorry, when did this happen? A couple of days ago. Where And where was she? In the ho- you know, long sort of corridor as you come in. Yeah. There's a motorbike there. Yeah. Just to the left of the motorbike, there's a door. I thought it was storage in behind there. It turns out that, that's Agnes's quarters in there. Okay, right. Yeah, so anyway. I thought I, she was in like Lake Tahoe or well, something. Maybe she told you that, but I, the point, I've, I've actually bumped into her a couple of times. Right, okay. Yeah, anyway, this first time, I said, maybe I'm being taken for, taken for a ride here. Anyway, this woman purporting to be Agnes asked us how we were getting on. Yeah. I said, great, thanks, lovely place, absolutely great, uh, really enjoying ourselves. She was vaguely interested in that, but then she cut to the chase. Yeah. How's Mr. Pooscheck? Yeah. And I said, oh, oh, he's immediately thinking I'm the wrong person to be talking about this. He's he's absolutely fine, Agnes. You saw the flash of hatred in your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> he's like Murph around KMBOR. He's just the ray of sunshine in our lives. And she said, and are you feeding him? And I said, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, feeding him plenty. And then I threw in the little writer, I would argue a little too much, perhaps. Oh, right. I said this to Agnes. And she's very bubbly. Yeah. At that point, she got slightly serious. There was a pause. She stares at me and says, there's no such thing as feeding Mr. Ah, Pooscheck too much. Yeah. <laughs> so you boys were 100% right. Just treat he, that. He likes his food. I mean, big, he's... Big fat cat likes large amounts of food. I he, mean, it's not exactly, you know, deduction on a grand scale here. He has a kind of a, a, a thing set up where essentially if the person who's staying in the house doesn't want to, is too lazy to feed him or doesn't understand that like a cat is like an organism that needs food, um, it, it kind of feeds out this like um, pellets of, I don't know, whatever it is, and he mm. obviously doesn't like it because he refuses to... I'm, I'm sure he'd eat it if he was starving. Uh, but we noticed this morning that he appeared to have got sick in that. Um, <laughs> he, he essentially, he appeared to have got sick into the, the sort of feeder mm. as a way, perhaps, of of showing his contempt for... Sometimes, sometimes you just have to burn the boats. Yeah. You know, this is what he said. You know, like the Vikings landing on, on virgin territory, yeah. you burn your boat, you got to stay there. So, <laughs> so I, I think really that um, that uh, he he that, that was his way of telling us keep the delicious fried chicken treats coming. We went day tripping yesterday. You boys enjoyed yourselves driving to Santa Cruz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Santa Cruz is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Simon uh, was uh, driving and was also surfing, and uh, the rest of us. Uh, myself and Ken were the only two people wearing shorts in Santa Cruz for the, the first two hours of our stay. A little overcast when we arrived, which meant that we felt rather foolish uh, wandering around uh, like it was 37 degrees. Uh, but then the sun came out, and uh, I think we, we, we felt a lot better about ourselves than Ken, didn't we? Yeah, now we look like uh, idiots. idiots. We look like idiots, complete idiots. Also wearing matching second captain's hoodies as well, which, <laughs> which didn't, uh, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't good. Yeah, good, good place. You weren't tempted to get in and surf with Simon? Uh, no, the water's a little bit cold. I mean, I, w- I walked around in the water a little bit, did my feet in it, but uh, I wasn't really interested in a full-on immersion. <laughs> uh, I just thought, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. I mean, the, the surf itself, I've got to say, was pathetic, really, really pathetic. I mean, uh, I talked to a, a guy called Jake. Big Canby uh, or listener, Jake. Um he, uh, he he was there with a couple of Labradors. Everybody was coming up and kind of paying tribute to his dogs because they were just very good-looking dogs. Uh, and he was kind of talking about that. But, you know, he said, look, oh, you know, you want to have been here last week. You know, surf was 10 feet tall. You know, it was apparently last week was like, you know, you know in Point Break when, when Bodhi is like uh, 
trying to he goes to like Australia or whatever or New Guinea or yeah. somewhere to get like the biggest wave ever and essentially it was like that in Santa Cruz last week but mm. Simon Hick just arrived and it was pretty much like the pond in Stevens Green <laughs> uh, they were floating there like the ducks and every every so often there'd be a ripple and, and they'd try and scoot along yeah. but we, we, were, we were listening to Jake telling us this and then Simon was still in the water and we were like ah we shouldn't tell Simon that, you know that. You know Simon doesn't need to hear that. And then literally, we couldn't tell him quick enough once he got out of the water. I was in Las Vegas for. Uh, I just threw that in there, Murph, nice and casual. I flew to Las Vegas for an interview you'll hear later this year. But I was back in Vegas airport for Game One of the Conference Finals between Golden State Warriors, the local team based in Oakland, not local to Vegas, but local to San Francisco, mm. and the Houston Rockets. The Warriors were expected to hammer them, but it turned into a thriller. And I had that classic dilemma where you're watching a game in an airport bar. It's quite near the the gate that you're flying out from. How much of this final quarter can I watch without realistically missing my flight, which had already been delayed by an hour? Mm-hmm. I did not want to miss that flight. So eventually I, I hung around long enough to see Steph Curry drain another couple of free throws and look amazingly relaxed while doing so to steer his team to victory. Mm. Did you not? I would have thought you'd been uh, partying it up in Vegas. Well, you see, the interview I mean, was... to be honest, if I'm in Las Vegas and I've got a couple of hours to kill, probably not going to spend it watching basketball. The interview was away from Vegas. It was about maybe 25 minutes, half an hour through the desert into into uncharted territories for me, Ken. I, I got back to Las to Vegas disclosed location. in time to have a wander. Well, a couple of things happened. I was having a wander along the Strip. See, I was in Vegas once before and it was a similar scenario where I was only there for a little while, so I didn't have much time to to do any partying on either occasion. And I actually got a bit bored this time after about an hour. I thought, well, I might as well get to the flight in reasonable time. So I left, went to get the flight. Forgot that the airport's only been a minute from the from the strip. Mm. You can literally see the hotels from where the airport is. And then my flight was delayed, which is why I ended up watching most of a basketball game <laughs> rather than being in you know, spending some time in the most fun city in the world, which is a couple of minutes from, my, from, uh, from where I was. But the San Francisco Giants beat the Dodgers in game one of their series. So our impact on sport... In this area continues, Murph. Don't we want to take just, too much credit. Well, again, we don't want to take too much credit, but it appears as if we have acted as an inspiration. But I mean, if we if we felt it any small way, then you're welcome, San Francisco. It's a pretty good sports city at the moment, as you can tell. And if you're thinking of making a trip, you can fly direct with Aer Lingus, as we did. It's time now for Ken Erdy's report on sport. So uh, Louis van Gaal is a viral sensation today. Um, after last night's Manchester United annual awards, um, Van Hal has created two viral sensations, in fact. Uh, one of them for uh, Ryan Giggs. He's, he's there, they're bidding apparently at some kind of an auction. Uh, Van Hal thinks he's won the charity auction. He's, he turns around to Dwight York, who's his good friend, Dwight York, who's sitting just sort of behind him and uh, slaps him on the tie or something like that, a general show of um, you know, brotherly you know, affection. And then York sort of indicates, oh, points at Ryan Giggs, who's sitting next to Van Hal. Ryan Giggs, unbeknownst to Van Hal, who's looking the other way, has raised his hand and outbid him. And suddenly, I think Ryan, I, th- I think Ryan Giggs has won the auction now, or maybe he's just Van Hal has to make another bid. So Van Hal slaps him on the back of the head in a kind of an affectionate manner. But to be honest, well, I think the, the I think it was definitely affectionate. Yeah, I don't think there was any. Um, equivocation there in the the, the motivation yeah. but it was the sort of affectionate slap that's really annoying that really leads <laughs> really, to deep really, really annoying. seething hatreds bubbling yeah. up between people um, 
yeah, that was that was one. But then he made a speech, and the speech was uh, really was sensational. I mean, Manchester United are trying to take it down from the internet for some reason. I I can't imagine why. I mean, it's all over the internet, unfortunately, for Manchester United. YouTube have taken it down, but you know. Uh, there's a lot of websites out there that don't respond as promptly to copyright infringement complaints. <laughs> uh, so Louvenel's speech will live on. Um, he talks about, I mean, it was, you know, there was, was nothing wrong with it at all. I mean, in fact, Gary Neville was tweeting during and saying, oh, this is amazing, this is sensational, uh, this is so funny, it's cracking me up. Um, he, he's, you know, he's, he just, uh, I mean, it's the type of speech we've seen Louvenel give before, you know, uh, when he was... Um, uh, managing uh, in Holland when he was managing Bayern Munich. Um, he does this kind of thing at the end of the season. He has a couple of glasses of wine, he takes the microphone, and he uh, absolutely lets rip um, in the uh, in this case about the fact that they were going for second position. Uh, the captain, Wayne Rooney, stood up and said, we target the second position. And I said, yeah, <laughs> says uh, Van Hal, uh, which reminded me so like much that of... Was, that was less demonstrative oh, of yeah. what Van Hal actually went for. I mean, it was a full-on... Screech. Yeah, WWE-style screech. It was. It reminded me a bit of Howard Dean, uh, the 2004 Democratic primary candidate who, whose campaign foundered upon uh, a moment when he, he apparently was judged by the popular taste to have just gone a little over the top uh, in scree- screeching out the word, yeah, uh, like that. It was just a little bit too high-pitched. It didn't sound presidential. Uh, however, I don't think this um, is going to cause Ivan Hall any, no. any problems. You could get a sense, actually, of the the kind of ebullient confidence of this club. Uh, Van Hal was uh, giving them, you know, this, it's not just the players who are there and the, the staff and so on. There's also, like, uh, there's fans there as well. A saxophone player playing very a, well. A saxophone player who Van Hal scrambled back up in the stage after his speech to say, oh, and I am disappointed with you for one thing. I saw an amazing lady saxophone player she plays the saxophone very well. Please give her a round of applause. Um, <laughs> which everybody, which they were happy to supply. But Van Hal talking about it. It's, this is the most famous football club in the world with the best supporters in the world. You know, the kind of stuff that, that clubs uh, say all the time. Although you do get the sense that Manchester United do believe that about themselves. I'd say the only issue that they might have at Man United is that he was saying that they should have very vociferously that, that they were better than Chelsea when they played them towards the mm. end of the season and should have won that game. That's the only bit that you could imagine Jose Mourinho saying, all right, thanks for that. We'll work off. But the rest of it was just Van Hal being a little bit eccentric and pretty funny in a, a bizarre kind of way. I, I mean, I, I like Van Hal because I find him kind of endearingly unaffected. You know, he's not a... He is quite genuine, I think. The way that he goes on, uh, people might... Some people might... Uh, see him as a, an awkward type of person. I mean, and he is, a little bit. But he is what he is. You know, there's, there's very little artifice about him, I think. And you can see the kind of passion that he has about what he does, which I think came across in that, in that speech, you know, which I don't think was necessarily a masterclass in, in public speaking by any means, but nevertheless did uh, manage to get across the sense of what Van Hal was about. I mean, um, yeah, he, the, he, he made a claim at one point we, you know, we won six games in a row then, and we went to Chelsea, and we were much better than them. Yeah, we were way the better. And sure, we lost the game. Yeah, but you know, if if we had hadn't lost that game, and we'd won, imagine then what could have happened. Essentially, he, the argument was, if we hadn't lost that game, we then would have won all the rest of our games, and then we could have been the champion. You know <laughs> what I mean? I've done the maths on it, and if we'd won the games that we had lost, 
If yeah, if they if those, they won't, if, I mean, if those if those results had gone our way, I mean, there's every chance we could have finished league champions. They definitely would have been champions if the, I think seven matches they lost had all been a win <laughs> for Manchester. That would, then they would. Have, so we're very close. We said, you know, and you do get the sense. Although obviously they're they're they've got this um, De Gea situation at the moment. Um, I don't think they're necessarily have given up on De Gea, uh, but there's talk now of uh, Jasper Sillison, the Ajax goalkeeper. You remember the man who uh, stepped aside for Tim Crew? Yeah, Van Hal. Uh, he, he doesn't. He doesn't like um, having to say penalties. Apparently, he's not. He's not happy about it. <laughs> everything, it's just not my thing, boss. <laughs> everything else is a goalkeeper. He uh, he he'll lap it up. Just penalties. He's not so keen on. Can you actually? I mean, it's it's not possible to just put someone in goal for penalty. No, it isn't. I mean, not unless they want yeah, to do it. Yeah. I mean, you could put Phil Jones in there. Yeah, you're not going to sign Niall Quinn. Just uh, fly him in there as an emergency penalty. Oh, you're saying can you get the striker? Can you can't if you have, have a goalkeeper on the field? Can you actually remove him? No, you can't. Just to get put the striker in there. No, you can't. And, and, and so he's allowed to handle the penalty, but nothing else. So it would literally the, the option is either Sillison comes off. Or Phil Jones goes and goes and tries to save it with his head, in the manner which he, <laughs> the manner which he demonstrated so famously against Arsenal. Uh, Olivier Giroud, there, yeah. Um, we did also get uh, we had a bit of reaction to our to the talk we were having about the data analysis and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Morrissey sent us a link uh, to a video of Colin McMullen, who is uh, as Irish as he sounds, Owen, uh, a data analyst uh, who had um, done a little uh, video. Talking, he was doing a talk, you know, at an event, uh, having pulled together a lot of opta data um, to show why. Essentially, the the point of the talk was stop applauding long cross field passes. You know those beautiful long raking balls. I'll switch the focus of the play. I mean, it's one of the adornments of the game. Yeah. No, no, they, well, I mean, it is. You know, I mean, it's the, one of those things. Everyone in the stadium is, oh, that's beautiful. You know, it does. It gets the, it gets the polite round of applause. Yeah, you know, there are different like, sounds at football stadium. That's just the real. Even I think even opponent uh, opposition fans well would say, "Well done, yeah. Stephen Gerrard, Javi Alonso." Well, you, you mentioned the name Stephen Gerrard there, but well, he was amazing at them, or at least he tried them a lot. Yeah, he actually stands out a mile in these statistics uh, as someone who. Who tries way more of these than almost anybody else? It's useful as being really good at keepy uppies, apparently, in actual professional. Well, apparently, I mean, Jared actually has a higher than average uh, completion uh, race. I think the if I recall the figures correctly, something like forty percent of them are actually completed. Um, but his, his is more; it's over sixty percent, uh, and he tries plenty of them, so he ends up making lots of them. The thing uh, that the guy uh, Colin McMullen was looking at that was what happens after one of these is played. And it turns out that most of the time, something bad happens. <laughs> Only in a vanishingly small uh, fraction of uh, cases does a goal result or a shot on goal. Most of the time you lose the ball or a negative event occurs. Do you not potentially, and this is part of the reason, break up a strong defensive unit by switching that play? You're, you're at least tiring them out. You're getting them because everyone has their little patterns that they defend in as well as that they attack in. And if you switch the play completely, I would have thought that that can be potentially uh, beneficial in terms of opening up a little bit. It's, it's, uh, for example, in rugby, a fitter team will always try to drag a, drag a team into the middle and then switch it out wide. Maybe you come back the other way. New Zealand do this a lot. No, Nothing fancy at all. Just pass, 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 pass. But you're constantly stretching them and eventually the holes appear in their defense. Maybe they may, football might be a different... That's absolutely the, the thinking behind it, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, it, you know, the idea is the space over there, get the ball into the space quickly 
see what happens. It's just that if you actually look at what does happen, not much. Mostly, it's bad. It's 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 mostly yeah. It doesn't lead anywhere. So his essential his point was that this is something which you know, start booing then. People shouldn't do this. It's just not. It's not an efficient. It's not an efficient thing to do with the ball. You know, if you if you're thinking about hitting a long crossfield pass, don't. Just, put, just just do something else. So it kind of goes to what we were talking about uh, the other day, which is that which is not to say that a player like Stephen Jarrett is, uh, you know, an, an anachronism in the game. I mean, a player with this kind of ability is always going to is always going to make it. It's just that in a possibly in quite a different form. I mean, you know, if Stephen Jarrett was eight years old again. He might be getting discouraged to do that kind of the very sorts of things that he that he has been uh, doing all along. Um, where are we on? Okay. Uh, Analytics to money, Ken. Let's talk money. About uh, money. Uh, Steve, uh, <laughs> sportingintelligence.com. Sportingintelligence.com uh, has started to produce a kind of an annual best paid sports team in the world uh, list, which, um, you know, it's kind of becoming a kind of a yearly event, a bit like the, along the lines of the Deloitte uh, Money League, you know. Uh, what they look at is, is uh, sports teams uh, all over the world. And in in all kinds of sports, uh, to find who's getting paid the most, and right at the very top, uh, a new entrant uh, to this list is Paris Saint Germain. Paris Saint Germain players are the best paid players in the world in any sport of any team. Hundred and one thousand pounds a week is the average. Like one hundred seventy four thousand dollars a week is the average salary. Of Paris Saint Germain, which is just incredible. Average, average salary for like their twenty five man squad. Uh, so we, yeah, even sorry to cut even the workaday. Right back, Paris Saint Germain. have an amazing right back that I'm that I'm not thinking about. But even your player who's only in there because he's a cog in the machine is yeah. probably getting paid a hundred and something grand. Oh yeah, um, the average is one hundred and seventy. Well, I assume you know you've got like Zlatan is getting paid a four hundred grand. David Luiz, Thiago Silva, these guys, and then maybe there's a few guys on sixty or seventy. But the average is one hundred seventy four. Real Madrid number two, Manchester City who had been tough for the last two years number three, Barcelona number four, and then at number five. Is the first entrant from a non uh, a non football team? It's the LA Dodgers. Uh, the average salary there being one hundred fifty four thousand dollars. Man United just behind them, ahead of Bayern Munich, Chelsea, uh, the New York Yankees. I mean, the New York Yankees are nine in this. Well, you've got your heckle ready for the Dodgers on Thursday, then, Ken. What you're over? Why don't you go play for Paris Saint Germain? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yankees, like a cheapskates. Arsenal just behind the New York Yankees. I mean, Arsenal, a club that are supposedly uh, always, and that's the top ten: Brooklyn Nets, Detroit Tigers, San Francisco Giants, uh, the opponents of the other Dodgers, and uh, Liverpool are the top. Uh, the, uh, so we're supporting the plucky underdog. <laughs> How much are the plucky plucky underdogs getting paid? One hundred eighteen grand a week on average. One hundred eighteen thousand dollars. Where do they live in this, in this town of it's all expen- Yeah, it's an expensive city. It is an expensive town, and then you know you got to consider they don't just get that one hundred eighteen grand into their pockets. They've got to pay tax and also like state tax. Should sports people really tax. have to pay tax? <laughs> they give us all a lot of joy. <laughs> yeah. Golden State Warriors are a good bit down there at 20, 28. Just behind Juventus, actually, 94000 That's a disgrace. Steph Curry should be good. Pay Steph Curry more, Warriors, if you're listening. Um, so, yeah, that's... Got to keep getting them checks. Uh, that's, what's, that's what's happening there. Where are we now? Um, should we mention John Carver? Um, Briefly. Uh, John Carver, uh, who might still be relegated, might still lead Newcastle to relegation if Hull can defeat Manchester United on the last day, which seems... Pretty unlikely, but uh, is possible. Um, Carver is 
losing sleep at the moment. He says, I'm only sleeping four and four and a half hours a night. I've thought about turning my phone off. You get so many messages, good messages, but it can wear you down. Mentally, you've got to be bright and ready. He's told all those guys to lay off social media completely. He says, if you have a Twitter account and someone starts giving you abuse, it can affect your mental status. Uh, I've had a chat with the guys that say, keep off the internet and social media and watch wrestling on television. Not football. That can fatigue you mentally. Stay away from television as much as you can. I would have thought four and a half hour sleep isn't bad going for a manager of a team that is in serious danger of relegation. You think? No, I think I think you got to. You got to be able to. Four Sir, and a half Sir Alex Ferguson, Harry Redknapp, these boys are all up at half four in the morning. Yeah, but they're going to going to bed at like seven. half eight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ferguson. He, you can't imagine he was a, a night owl. You know, I mean, he's finished work, going home to bed, straight well, uh, straight yeah. to bed. Straight out of bed, of course, that was just, that was one of the things that got him angry. One of the billions of things that got him angry uh, was people who slobbishly lie in the bed, snoozing, uh, after their alarm goes off, and they don't just jump straight out of the bed. That's what Ferguson did. Essentially, every time he heard the alarm went off, he literally leapt from the bed. Brian O'Driscoll, too. That's in O'Driscoll's book. He leapt from the bed. He said he's he doesn't even give himself a, thank, a chance to think about snoozing. Because within 20 seconds, he's under a power shower and he's wide awake. Yeah. Apparently some people, I mean, I, I would be one of the snoozers, but I, I just want to ease myself into it a little bit. But Alex, Alex Ferguson used to get really angry with that. I think four and a half hours of sleep is not enough, actually. I think for, if, you, if you're consistently going in four and a half hours of sleep, I know Margaret Thatcher said that she used to get by on you know, three hours of sleep or something ridiculous like that. But, you know, I don't, I don't know if it was necessarily the healthiest way for her to be. And definitely it wouldn't be something I'd recommend to anyone doing a stressful job. The Raheem Sterling controversy? Well, Sterling, um, this this all happened uh, on Monday, really, on when we were recording in the last uh, podcast. And then shortly after that, uh, the news emerges that Raheem Sterling's agent, Eddie Ward, is going to meet Liverpool and tell them that uh, Sterling's not signing a new contract and he would like to be sold, if at all possible, uh, immediately. Um, so he was at this award ceremony last night uh, he was taking. Uh, he was receiving an award for Young Player of the Year, and supposedly he was booed a little bit while he was there. Um, uh, and, and so we wait to see really what's going to happen here. I mean, Liverpool's position has always been: we're not going to sell this guy. You know, even if he wants to leave, we're not going to sell him. But you know, it's there's a question mark over whether that really would be the right policy. I mean, previously they did this with Luis Suarez, and it turned out to be a brilliant decision. I mean, they ended, they ended up losing Luis Suarez, but they got a lot more money than they otherwise would have got for him. And he nearly won them the league uh, and got them into the Champions League. So it worked out about as well as it could have with a player who was determined to leave and was going to leave. In the case of Sterling, though, um, it's hard to see. It's hard to see him producing the same kind of season that Luis Suarez did. I just don't know if he necessarily has that in him at this point. I think he may. He may one day have it in him. But as a twenty-year-old who kind of feels as though a lot of the supporters are maybe against him now. I don't know if he's necessarily got the kind of steel about him that Suarez had to go and do that. I mean, he's not he's nowhere near as good a player uh, at the moment anyway. Um, I do wonder about this, though, in terms of the, the mentality of the people who boo uh, the player. Like, I mean, presumably these, these people are supporters of the club and would ideally like Sterling, who is, you know, the best young player to... You hesitate to say Liverpool produced him because actually they signed him when he was 15. But, you know, he's come out of their sort of youth side... Um, you know the best, the best player, such player in a in a very long time, and then to see him leave would would obviously be kind of a, a disappointing moment for the club because the child, well, even your twenty year old doesn't want to 
doesn't want to stay here. He thinks he's too big for the club at 20. You know what I mean? That's not that's not a good moment. But surely if they want him to stay, booing him isn't really the best. It's like the you know the people who get onto Jack Grealish on Twitter saying, oh, we don't want you then. You know, if you don't want to... If you, essentially, if you're not like wrapped in the flag, like sort of thrashing, you know, throwing yourself into the Irish Sea and attempt to swim to the other side to get here as quickly as you can, then we don't want you. And to get onto the Twitter to sort of abuse him over that just seems like I don't really understand the thinking. I don't really understand how they think that's going to be an effective strategy. That's the end of Kennedy's report on sport. Talking Raheem Sterling now with Tony Barrett. Tony, the, there seems to be a bit of debate around exactly how much Sterling was in fact heckled at this awards do. Can you, you were there, can you tell us what happened? Yeah, when was, his name was first announced, there was, there was a bit of muffled doing, not, not, not particularly outrageous by any means. Uh, when he got up to collect his young player the award, he, he got the award and uh, it, was, it was while he was making his acceptance speech uh, there was a little bit of heckling, uh, some more booze, and, and, and to be fair, there were quite a lot of people applauding. So it was it was an absolute uh, mixed reception. Uh, Raheem sat down and, and didn't react at all. But I mean, I mean that's where it is. Where the there's no getting away from that. He's he's in that kind of position where he's he's made it known he wants to go, and so people aren't going to uh, be particularly warm towards him. But it was it was mixed. It wasn't. It wasn't a, a resoundingly negative reaction. That, that, that's fair to say. What was the general feel of the night time? Because it's not, it hasn't been a great few weeks for Liverpool. It looked as though maybe it was going to turn into a, a, a decent season maybe two months ago, and that really hasn't happened. Yeah, well, you're speaking to somebody who despises these kind of nights, who despises teams having a lapse of honour with no trophies, who, who walk around walk around stadiums with their families and extended families and friends and hangers on and waves of fans uh, as if that's some some way of saying thanks very much for uh, paying 55, 60 pound tickets every week and uh, we, we produce nothing of note. So so I'm absolutely cynical of, of, of these events uh, and last night Liverpool's was, fell into that kind of category. It just, it just felt like an odd night all around and, and I, I think uh, I know these events Clubs even as way bringing fans and players together, and they're also obviously a, a commercial exercise as well. But I just think going for I think I think all clubs need to consider uh, the validity of having that kind of do if if the season hasn't been too impressive. Tony, uh, there seems to now be there's a little bit of uh, I wouldn't say confusion. The, the situation with Raheem Sterling actually seems to be straightforward enough. He, he doesn't want to sign a contract, certainly not at the moment, uh, and and wants the club to sell him. Although. His agents released a statement saying the story's been blown out of proportion. I mean, how can a story like this be blown out of proportion? What's been blown out of proportion about it? 
I think there were elements that, that were blown out of proportion. There were suggestions that Sterling had uh, already told Liverpool he wants to leave. I don't think that was the case. I think Liverpool were aware that Raheem Sterling wants to leave. And I think there have been discussions that have certainly indicated that. But there hasn't been that categorical, I want to go. Uh, so I think there were elements of that and, and how that happens, how, how that story blows up uh, in the way it did. I mean, we can only guess. Uh, there seems to be a lot of... Uh, people have the same kind of facts, which seems seems to have come from, I'd imagine, the same source. Uh, but but what we do know is that uh, Liverpool had a meeting with Aidy Ward, Sterling's representative on Friday, which uh, Ward's going to tell him that his client wants to leave. It's it's that simple. Uh, it's 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 gone past the point of of contract negotiations. It's not even a standoff anymore. It's just uh, uh, Sterling's people don't want to enter into a dialogue anymore. So. He wants out, and it's it's not about how Liverpool handle her, uh, which I think is intriguing because their instinct throughout has been that he's not for sale, and that they don't want to sell him. They say they don't want to sell him to another English club, but it increasingly looks like other English clubs, mainly Manchester City, are going to come with big offers. So they do have a big, big decision to make. Tony, just lastly, is Raheem Sterling's uh, future going to play any role at all in the talks at Brendan Rodgers? What I must say must be, uh, I don't know if he's dreading them or not, and maybe nobody knows exactly what Brendan Rodgers is thinking, but these talks that he has to have with the owners, will they be maybe unimpressed if uh, if Sterling appears to be unimpressed with, um, or not not impressed enough with Brendan Rodgers to want to stay at the club? Or is that is that a non-factor in those talks? I think it should be a non-factor, because I think if Raheem Sterling does suggest that, I don't think that would be particularly fair, because uh, Brendan Rodgers has gone out of his way to help Sterling in lots of ways. Uh, now whether Sterling thinks the help is good, bad or indifferent is another matter uh, but I, I don't think it really matters who's, who's in charge of Liverpool at the moment I think the fact that Liverpool are the fifth best club in England with the fifth biggest wage bill with owners who, who don't seem uh, to be able to compete for, for the top players and certainly find it difficult to keep their, their own top players I think they're the bigger issues if he does throw Glenn Rodgers in the mix of reasons why he wants to go again I think that will be down the list I don't, and if, it, if it's otherwise I would suggest he's using that as an excuse Alright Tony Barrett brilliant stuff thanks a million Cheers James Tony not a big fan of the awards dues Ken it sounds like although they have livened up an otherwise very dull end of season this week Yes, uh, not a whole lot else. To maybe to maybe there are nuggets like this from every uh, end of season awards, do we? Just we, we, you know, yeah, we don't pay any attention to because there you know, might be something to that. Actual football going on. Yeah, now it's. Uh, I mean, even the Champions League final is is not until kind of June. It's kind of like why? Why is everything? It's it's weird actually. The, yeah, the end of the season and the international football still to come. Then the international international football is stretching into the middle of June. Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous as well. We've got one more show coming up from San Francisco after this one. We'll be moving out of these lovely KNBR studios for that program and into Foley's Irish Bar on O'Farrell Street in Union Square. Richie Sadler is going to be there. Richie has arrived in the city, I'm told. I haven't seen him just yet, mm-hmm. but he's here. Safe Made and sound. Made friends with Mr. Pushek already. We'll catch up with him a little bit later on. US Murph will be there. We'll record that for you and put it out. If you haven't heard our emotional first meeting with Brian Murphy, that's already out there. It's, uh, it should be on your list of Irish Times Second Captain's podcast, so have a listen if you haven't already. It took place in AT&T Park where Brian is bringing us on Thursday afternoon for the big game against the Dodgers, the Giants versus the Dodgers. We talked about the sleeping habits of successful people earlier, mm-hmm. Alex Ferguson and Brian O'Driscoll and uh, <clears throat> John Carver. Well, the big non-sporting event taking place at the moment in America uh, that people are talking about, the big pop culture event, I guess, is Dave Letterman's Long Farewell, which winds up tonight. His final ever show is this evening. That's Wednesday evening as we record. I've been reading some interviews that he's done. 
And he's essentially saying, look, I've just fine. A couple of things. I finally ran out of energy to do live TV shows every night. They kind of took quite a bit out of me. And also I felt, mm, what I'm doing maybe isn't what the, what the kids want to see anymore. They, uh, he says he likes Jimmy Kimmel, he likes Jimmy Fallon, these kind of guys. So it was time to move aside. But the secret to lasting this long, mm-hmm. he gets up at 6 a.m. in New York, right? Gets up at 6, drives to work, gets there at 6.30, immediately goes back to bed, not just for a nap. Supposedly Gay Byrne used to take a nap uh, every Friday before the late late in between the, his mm. morning radio show and the late late. But this is a proper three-hour sleep. So he essentially gets up in the middle of his sleep, drives to work, finishes it off at the office, wakes up as good as new, just to avoid the traffic, basically. He doesn't want to be stuck in an extra half hour's traffic. Right, okay. Well, I suppose that's nice. I mean, I'd like if... I suppose not everybody necessarily has full bedroom facilities <laughs> at the office. I'd imagine it's not just a little couch that he's on there, futon. No. I'm surprised that, you know, sort of more of the tech startups, you know, haven't actually brought this in, this idea that, okay, we'll, we'll build the office. We're also going to build a vast sort of dormitory so that you guys don't get stuck in, in traffic. Presumably they, they do do that. Probably do, Murph. We I just mean, don't work for them. Yeah, they do it in the hospitals, for instance. Although I don't know if, if Letterman's necessarily sleeping in those sort of on-call uh, type facilities. Bunk beds. Yeah. I mean, Winston Churchill used to have that uh, system, I think, where two beds, he'd, say he'd have two beds. Because he, he used to wake up sometimes during that, and then he, he wouldn't be able to go back to sleep because the sheets were all rumpled. So there's nothing he'd like better than to get in between cool, crisp sheets. So he'd just transfer beds uh, in the middle of the night. And uh, I mean, that's great. But not everybody necessarily can have that sort of setup. So these these kind of life hacks are pretty useless for um, the vast majority of human beings. Let's get to a story from Brazil. Uh, we've got James Young ready to talk to us about this. James writes for Sports Illustrated, amongst others. We've spoken to him a good few times in the past. And the story is, James, well, we already know that the Brazilian national team, the federation more to the point, like to sell their team around the world, play friendlies abroad, probably play far too many of them and maybe tire out the players somewhat, as has happened in Spain in more recent times. But now it turns out that they've actually been selling the right to pick the team as well. Well, that's, that's part of the story that came out uh, last week, or in the last few days, yes. Uh, a Sao Paulo newspaper called uh, the Estadão uh, published a story saying that the CDF, the, the Brazilian FA, had done a deal in, in 2006 with a company called ISE, uh, and that company was a, was a shell company, a front company for a, a Middle Eastern group called Dala al-Baraka, I think is the, if I'm, my pronunciation's halfway, halfway there. Uh, and part of, the, part of the contract of that deal was that the, the uh, ISE company would have some say in, in who played in the, in the Brazilian team. It was more a question, it looks like, like a question of uh, there's a kind of an A team, a, a team of stars, if you like, the first choice team. And any deviation from that, that team with, uh, with reserves or, or, or things like that would have to be approved by, by ISE. So, yeah, so it's, it's a, a third-party marketing company seeming to have quite a say in, in the selection of the Brazilian national team. Uh, the question at the moment would be how star-stood it is, that Brazilian team. I mean, outside of the obvious example of Neymar, David Luiz, you know, maybe, maybe Thiago Silva, after that, are there that many... I mean, are people queuing up to pay money to see Fred play or Oscar or these kind of guys? Well, exactly. I mean, this goes back to 2006. I suppose back then you're looking at Kaká, you're looking at Ronaldinho, people like that. So there were some of the big, the bigger names were still were still floating around to a, to a greater or lesser degree. Um, 
I mean, it is. It's 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 just part of the very murky world of the of, of the CDF. I suppose they 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 have a very and Hikaru Tishere, the the then president, they have a very long history of of deals such as this. Uh, on one hand, you could maybe say it's well, certainly not understandable. There isn't there hasn't been a huge outcry in Brazil. It hasn't it hasn't raised that many eyebrows. Probably because people expected of the CDF anyway, and also because. You're talking about friendlies, and a lot of these friendlies are clearly commercial exercises, such as when they played in Gabon and they played in Egypt and in Doha and games like this. Uh, so I suppose you could say if someone's paying a lot of money for those games, then they're going to want to know that uh, the, the best players, the big names will be there too, too as you mentioned earlier on, to, to maintain the brand. But it's no uh, sense in which the friendlies are actually important. I mean... The only reason that we apparently have friendlies these days is so, is so that national teams can kind of experiment, can introduce new players to the lineup uh, outside the pressure of a competitive match. And if Brazil have to keep picking the same sort of A-list players in every match, then suddenly they, they, they don't really have the opportunity to do that. So that's, that, that is, you know, this is costing them something. Well, well that's right. If, if, had that been the case, and if this, someone wants to sit down and, and, and look at the players involved and then build that case, then I agree with you completely, because as, as you say, certainly in Europe, um, friendlies are for, for, for team development and bringing through young players. However, there is a culture in South America, and this, this even goes back to the clubs in, in the 1960s and onwards with players like, like, like Pelé at Santos, that you do use friendlies in other parts of the world to, to make some cash. You need to see how often teams like we were talking about Brazil, but Argentina, even Argentina would go off and play in uh, I, can't, I think in China and Japan and in, in, in the Middle East and Asia to make money when they have a, a fallow period. So there is a culture of that Pele spent most of his a large part of his career with Santos playing friendlies in Europe and across the world solely for the team to make money. So it is a, it is a different financial reality here. And I'm not sure, but as, as you mentioned, the team development, though, they're, they're, if you look at Brazil over this period, I mean, clearly young players have come through. Ganso, Neymar, well, Ganso didn't, didn't really make it, but young players have come through over the, over the recent years, as, as we've seen with, with Mano Menezes. They had a very young team. So clearly there hasn't been that much cracking of the whip to play sort of big-name veterans by this, by this ISE company, even mm. though they have a contractual right. The other thing that surprises me about it is that when I look at uh, when I look at this deal, I mean they're getting slightly over a million dollars a match. That's if they conform. That's uh, that's if they don't get hit by any financial penalties. That doesn't sound like a lot of money. I mean we've just been talking about um, you know uh, Paris Saint Germain and the and the kind of money that their squad is making. Um, you know as a result of having been bought out by Qatar. You know the best paid sports team in the world. I mean a million dollars is. It's it's almost like you know the Austin Powers thing. You know the Brazil national team gets a, a million dollars every time it plays. Are, are they not selling themselves out a bit cheap here? This is the <clears throat> the world's most successful, the world's most famous international team. If they're going to sell themselves, they should sell themselves for more money than they're getting. Possibly, you're right. Yeah, I'm not entirely aware of, of, of sort of what the the, uh, the price list is for for teams playing friendlies around the world. Perhaps it reflects to a certain extent um, on one level just, just throwing ideas out there. Perhaps, like you say, the, the, the financial and marketing incompetence of the, of the CBF and not getting more money. Perhaps also the, 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 the slightly tarnished Brazilian brand, which certainly isn't what it, what it has been in, in the past. And perhaps the reflection that, that, that club football is, is, is sexier these days than international football. People will probably more pay a lot more money to Barcelona play, play Real Madrid in, in Dubai 
than they would uh, Brazil against Germany, perhaps. Uh, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you, James, while we have you on, which is that I saw um, a story about David Luiz. Uh, he was getting baptized in the swimming pool of uh, his friend Maxwell. Um, the English media ran with the story that David Luiz announces that he's a virgin. Uh, but in fact, uh, what he seems to be implying is that he says, he says on Instagram, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Uh, and mentions that he has decided to wait. Um, <laughs> I mean, it sounds to me as though as though he he now considers the, the the past to have been wiped clean, as it were, and now he's he's going to wait until he gets married to, you know. I, I mean, I, I don't know, and and frankly, I don't, I don't really care. What interests me is uh, is this phenomenon of, of evangelical Christianity among well, it's not just Brazilian athletes; it seems Brazilian society in general. Why is it so incredibly popular? Why the? I mean, I, I can't think of another country where, with the possible exception of the United States, where you get these young uh, uh, athletes who are so um, who are so into this extreme form of religion. Yeah, it is fascinating, and, and and something you see every day when you watch watch football in Brazil, and even as we saw during the World Cup, when you, when you watch the national team, God, God apparently plays a very big role in in, in football results. So much, so much so there was a great article in the in the Folha de São Paulo during the World Cup talking about. The way the Brazilian team seemed to think that, that God was supporting them because they were somehow better Christians, and that meant that He wasn't really supporting. He didn't like Germany, for example. They weren't they weren't real Christians. And this 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 column kind of pointed out to David Luiz and friends that I don't think God really works that way, you know, in terms of supporting one team against the other. Um, yeah, there's a lot of lip service involved. Um, people talk about God. Being involved in, in, in football matches and, and how, how winning the game is thanks thanks be to God and the rest of it, whilst not really following, let's say, the scriptures too devoutly in, the, in their everyday life. Um, it, it goes back to, to I think Kaká is one of the most famous examples of um, of the evangelical squad and block in the Brazilian squad. Lucio as well was was famous for this. Um, it's a growing religion. It's Catholicism. Brazil is still the biggest Catholic country in the world, but the evangelical Protestantism is, uh, is is catching up fast, particularly in, in poorer communities, and it has a real foothold therefore amongst uh, amongst footballers. So maybe that's part of the reason. Yep. Listen, James, we leave it there. Brilliant stuff. Thanks, Amelia. Cheers. Yeah, I gotta say, it looks a little bit more than lip service to me on the field. I don't know how these players are living their lives off the field. On the pitch, the national team look fairly wrapped up in the Christianity element of things again. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, I suppose it is, you know, they, they are, I mean, the idea that, that they would do this as a marketing exercise, maybe, I mean, but then again, it's not as though the majority of Brazil's population is evangelical. You know, it's, it seems to me so you're appealing to a relatively small slice of the population by, you know, ostentatiously sort of converting to that type of religion uh, and possibly alienating other people who are a little bit sceptical. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. If We're also talking about uh, this is uh, one organism as, the, as though there aren't different people with maybe different strengths of religious conviction in amongst them and yeah. players who live their lives a different way off the field. I mean, it's it's different, say, from, you know, a, a say say a, an American politician who, who, as we know, say if you want to run for president, you must profess religious faith. You know, you can't be like, oh, I'm an atheist. I, I don't go in for any of that old nonsense. You know, you, you can't do that. It's, it's just, You're just not allowed. The president of the United States must 
show respect for you know the, 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 all the the faith that isn't actually mentioned anywhere in the constitution. If you look, but you know people seem to think that it now is. It's it's a bit different from that. I mean, you're just you're a footballer. You're entitled to you know you're a private individual who happens to be doing a public public kind of a job. But there's no need for you to have you know certain religious views. Um, I don't really understand why anybody would insincerely make a big show of you know believing in God. That seems really terrible. <laughs> seems really awful to me. Um, so I, I kind of take them at, at face value when they're doing it, but I don't really understand why it's uh, why it's got such appeal for them. All right, we've got to go get ready for a live show at Foley's. We'll get that up for you as soon as we can. And then we've got a big, big day tomorrow. It starts back here in KNBR Studios, Murph, where mm-hmm. finally we get the ultimate honour in Bay Area broadcasting. I know. Murph and, Ma- Murph and Mac uh, morning show. They've asked us on. Yes. <laughs> God knows and, uh, what shite they want us to talk about Ireland, but we'll do our best. <laughs> well, I, I know... Straight off, the first four words out of my mouth are going to be top of the morning because it's going to be 8 a.m. And why not? Why not just give the people what they want? I mean, you can overthink this stuff. Up. Yeah, should we really go fun? Can. Then on to AT&T Park for Giants versus Dodgers at 12.45 start time on a Thursday. But US Murph ensures us, Ken, that there are no folks with flexible work hours to fit out the stadium at lunchtime on a Thursday. we wait and see on that one. And then I'm, I myself... Don't know if anyone's joining me at the moment, but I'm going to hop on a train to Oakland. I got a ticket to Game 2 of the NBA Western Conference Finals. I'll see Steph Curry, my new hero, in person. And I've even I've even bought my Splash Brothers t-shirt for the evening, Murph. Well played. Now well I just played. need to work out who the second Splash Brother is because I've forgotten <laughs> before I get I'm there. Sure hey, you know sure the Splash Brothers? Well, yeah. yeah mainly yeah. the one Ask I know. Ask me which one my favourite is and uh, yeah, I can tell you that. We're over here, thanks to Erlingus, now flying direct from Dublin to San Francisco. Just finally, a massive thanks to everyone here at KMBR for being so welcoming to us. To Tony, Shannon, Tanika, Patrick Connor, Pecan. Mm-hmm. Self-style pecan. Everyone here has been great. A lot of these people are in bands, by the way. Every second person is like, yeah, this guy's in an amazing band. Uh, which, uh, I don't know, maybe we've missed the boat or something over. I don't know. Maybe it could just be the last. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. Don't, don't it's just, it, it just impresses me so much and uh, makes me so much jealous. But uh, Murph's partner, Mac, as well. We finally met Paulie Mac today. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he's a hell of a guy. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, just, it's just all been so great. So great. A huge thanks to everyone here. Thanks to you, boys. Thank you all. Thank you too. Thank you, Ken. Thanks very much for listening. We will put out that live show from Foley's Irish Bar and we'll chat to you soon. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 